death rate of drug overdose right now is staggering. There are 100,306 deaths from drug overdose in 2021. That is more people that died than Americans dying in the Vietnam War, the Korean War, the Revolutionary War, the Iraq War, the War of 1812, the War in Afghanistan, and the Mexican-American War combined. We've had close to 1 million overdose deaths in the United States from 1999 up until today, which is close to the same amount of Americans who have died in all wars of the United States history. It's hard to wrap my brain around. You know, today I am bringing on our show a father who lost his daughter on May 3rd of 2002. Now, losing a child seems almost about the worst thing that can happen, especially when it's preventable. The pain that the families endure, that is the worst part about this. I want you to listen to the eulogy that I'm going to read that was given by Chip Hepdick, who's the father. Some children remind us of flowers or stars. Some children remind us of sunlight, wind, trees, or rain. My daughter Chelsea was a meteor. White hot, streaking, burning, and crashing into our lives, demanding our attention. Her spirit popped out indignant, somehow angry at the restraints placed on her by being human. I used to take her food shopping and the stories of her escapades in ShopRite are, to this day, legend. Her tantrums were awe-inspiring. I once told this little two-year-old that she'd better settle down or she'd be in timeout when we got home. She looked at me with that patented Chelsea scowl and said, you getting on my nerves, a phrase she'd obviously heard once or twice. For a while, we lived in a small townhouse in Lakewood. There was a period of time when every single chair in the house laid on its side. At two years old, Chell would drag any standing chair she could find anywhere to climb on anything. She damn well pleased. I once found her on top of the refrigerator. I once took her out of the high chair, set her on the ground, and turned to shut off the water in the sink. In the space of literally 25 seconds, She had waddled out of the kitchen, down the hall, up the stairs, and was sitting in the bathroom sink. When she set her mind to something, even at that age, God help you if you got in her way. With Chell, you were either on the train or on the track. Chelsea's liabilities, like every single one of us, were of course her greatest assets. I often said that if she survived, her tenacity would make her a world beater. She had a huge heart and loved her family and friends with that same feverish intensity that led us to call her the Chelinator. She loved missions, and I often referred to her as my guided missile. If it was a task she accepted, she wouldn't stop until the job was done right. She was, to the end, perhaps the most fiercely loyal person I've ever known. There's a tradition among some of us. We throw pies at each other. Hard to comprehend, I know, but trust me, it's an act of love. The first time I hit Michael with a pie, we were all 
uncles, cousins, and friends standing around laughing, save one. Four-year-old Chelsea was furious with me. She ran up and kicked me in the shin and yelled, that's my brother. She was one who you absolutely had to have on your team. And if she wasn't on your team, trust me, you didn't want to be in the game. Those of you who are close to me know of my deep spiritual commitment. I try to live my life literally as a prayer. And for the past 25 years, my prayer has been the same. Help me to open my heart. Help me to learn the blessing of forgiveness. Help me to learn unconditional love. In my belief system, there are no mistakes, just endless opportunities for forgiveness and healing. And therefore, the people in my life who push my buttons, who frustrate me, who sometimes infuriate me, are my best teachers. Chelsea was, is now, and will continue to be the most revered and greatest teacher in my life. And in typical Chelsea fashion, she has answered my prayers to open my heart. Full frontal assault and take no prisoners. My wife and I love going to the movies. We critique the films later. And it's a running gag between us that no matter how sad or cathartic a movie appears to be, my comment is often, at least it was ultimately redemptive. And I feel deeply that this unbearably tragic, grief-laden moment must also be ultimately redemptive. Two nights ago, our friend Kathy Chestnut came over to visit. Kathy, Bill, James, and Ian lost their son and brother Nick two and a half years ago. When Kathy came in, I asked her how long it had been since Nick had died, and she told me. I looked her in the eyes and said, two and a half years and you're still alive. You're my hero. She laughed a little and then looked deeply into my eyes and said, you can choose to live or you can choose to die. It's your choice. And I made the choice to live and let every one of my actions honor Nick's life. So that's my redemption. I choose to live and honor Chelsea's life with mine. Someone once said, if you had 24 hours to live, who would you call? What would you say? And what are you waiting for? I'm not waiting. I'm going to continue to tell my friends and family that I love them whenever I can. I'm going to keep hugging Michael. I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to try to remember that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. The light is right here and right now. She is not gone. She has only changed. I guess I just have to learn to listen harder. Love you, Chel. Let the healing begin. Now I want everybody to stay tuned so you can meet this man who is very happy to tell her story. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
those that abuse substances many times think they're just harming themselves. But the reality is that the harm goes way beyond you. Anybody that loves you is going to struggle. Now, especially if you end up passing away, the harm, the hurt, the pain that you're going to cause your family can be unbearable. I'm going to start by reading a letter that was written by Chip Heptig on May 3rd, 2008, which is six years after the passing of his daughter. Welcome visitors. On April 25th, 2002, I was awakened by the doorbell at 4 a.m. Any parent knows that nothing good comes from a doorbell at 4 a.m. ever. It was the brick police. They came by to let me know that our daughter, Chelsea, had been found in a gas station parking lot in Elizabeth, New Jersey, not breathing. Someone had called 911. She had been taken to the hospital and placed on a respirator. She had accidentally overdosed on heroin and ecstasy. Eight days later, she died in ICU. She never regained consciousness. She passed away in the arms of her mother, Debbie, her brother, Michael, and me, her dad. 2,160 days have gone by and we still struggle every day. Our lives have gone on. That didn't seem possible at first, but one of the first major lessons I learned about tragedy and grief was that the world keeps spinning no matter what. So our lives have gone on. I like to think that Chelsea can still hear me. I talk to her all the time. I like to think that she wishes this never happened, that she feels this was all a terrible and stupid mistake. But I'll never know for sure in this lifetime if she hears me or feels anything. So my life goes on. Another huge lesson I've learned is that we are not alone. People lose loved ones all the time and parents lose children far too often. On this sixth anniversary of our beloved Chelsea Marie's death, I ask, plead, beg all you lovely, impetuous, impulsive and irresponsible sons and daughters to listen. You are loved and cherished more than you can possibly imagine. Your parents, siblings, and friends need you in their lives. Listen, your body is not immortal. Your body is not invulnerable. Please don't do anything irrevocably stupid. Try to celebrate life without risking it. Ask for help if you are depressed. Sometimes we're blind and deaf. Take care of your friends. If they can't or won't ask for help, and maybe it's up to you to ask for them. Drive carefully. You're operating a lethal weapon. If the driver of the car you're in is acting like an idiot, don't be afraid to get out of the car. We'll come get you. The list goes on and on. I'm sure there are bereft parents out there who would like to add words of advice. The bottom line is this. If you leave us, our hearts will be broken for the rest of our lives. Please grow old with us. We love you madly. I'm Eric McCoy, and this is High Walk Clean. I want to remind everybody to help support the show if you can. When I say, you know, support, I'm not specifically saying money, but again, subscribing, clicking our links on our website. Uh, anybody I want to mention this can create a profile on our website because we are continuing to develop those networks that can provide education, insight references, and resources. Uh, since our topic falls well into helping um, what has become what I believe to be 
one of the top preventable deaths in our country. You know, we know people will continue to die, but maybe we can make a difference. And that's sort of what we're looking at. And our show is into our third year. And I want to thank all of our listeners and our supporters. You know, we wouldn't be where we are today without your assistance. But donations that go through our website are actually to a nonprofit that's called Building Beyond Me, which can provide a tax write-off. Building Beyond Me's motto, believe in being better, standing together and learning forever with your community. If you have the ability, there are also plenty of other nonprofit organizations that are fighting the same fight that we are. And I want to give you an example uh, today of someone who is giving in a different way. And he's providing what I believe to be much more powerful than paper. (laughs) And he has a story that sadly, as time passes, becomes more and more common. And I was recently looking online and I came across stories of overdoses that led to death. Chelsea Marie Heptic, her story goes back to May 3rd of 2002. So we're coming up on 20 years, and my purpose has been to fight the stigma of substance abuse so that we can remove the misinformation and the hatred towards drug abusers and mental illness. And the second purpose is what I actually want to do today. And I've wanted to start another show specific to this topic, but due to time and money, it would actually take to create another entire show. I'm going to start by incorporating these into high wall clean until I can pull off the other one. But I want to title that show when I get that going voice to those that we have lost. And I don't want to forget our victims of this so-called never ending war. And my guest today is Chip Hepdig. Uh, He is the father who is going to provide the voice to a beautiful young woman who died way too young. We can't forget her story and the lessons that she can teach us. And dying in vain is only possible when there is nothing that we can learn. And I don't think that has to happen. And we can actually provide a story on the internet that could possibly remain long after we are gone. And I want to thank you, Chip, for joining us today. Glad to be here. Yeah, I read some information uh, about your daughter, and from what I could see, she combined MDMA and heroin. Is that correct? Yes, that is exactly what happened. And and how long had she been using? Uh, She had a unique, well, unique to our story. She was not um, an addictive person. She was, uh, she had anger management issues, and she had uh, impulse control issues. And she had a lot of stuff going on, but uh, she was basically a rebellious teen. Hmm. And, uh, you know, she she went through a period where uh, bulimia was the thing that was going to, you know, drag her down. And then she went through a thing with cocaine. Then she went through a thing with alcohol. Then she decided that heroin was her gig. And Hmm. And, uh, you know, it was really more of an impulsive thing. She never got in any kind of situation where, you know, she was breaking, you know, stealing money to get drugs to fix, to do a fix. This was just, I'm going to do my thing and everybody's doing it. And this is great. I'm going to do this. The heck with the rest of you. Yeah. Had she been in treatment before or did she? Yeah, she was in treatment, which is like a really interesting and, and hard, hard story. When your child is in 
in need when they're 13 and 14, hmm. a lot of people want to help. 15, it starts to get a little bit less of the people that want to help because at that point, we're getting close to the 16, 17, 18 18 thing. So uh, she was a multiple presenter. So she was in therapy for uh, the bulimia. She was in therapy for the anger management. She was, uh, we had a contract with our, uh, with her therapist about uh, just a general contract that, you know, if you don't come home for curfew, we're going to, you know, take away this and take away that. And she had to sign it. We had to sign it. You know, so we went through a lot of different possible. She was in an outpatient experience for a while. Uh, you know, we tried a lot of different things, you know, uh, regrettably, like now that she's gone, you know, I wish, well, geez, if I'd only done this or I've only done that, or if we sent her away to boot camp or a lot, you know, but yeah. hey, 2020 hindsight. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's all the woulda, coulda, shouldas, you know? Right. And the reality, and I, I work in the, you know, substance abuse field. Um, I do teaching for people working to become substance abuse counselors. I've, you know, also do, I've been in almost 20 years. I've been in the, in the industry and, you know, I've worked with a lot of parents that, you know, obviously have lost their kids, um, you know, that have gone through treatment and dealt with that. And, you know, in, in reality being, there's really nothing, obviously we can do, you could do, right. Uh, you know, to change her or get her to make the decisions that you would want her to make. Um, and so I'm assuming you held a lot of guilt. Yeah. You know, uh, that's a great question. Um, yes, there was a lot of guilt involved. It's been 20 years. So, you know, I spent, uh, at least 10 years in therapy myself after she died. Um, just trying to be, you know, a better human being and, you know, and be more, better at grieving if that, that sounds strange but you know i wanted to be a healthy griever mm-hmm. I, I was a school teacher i was an elementary school teacher you know i i love children i have a son and two stepchildren that i just you know that are just so close to me so i wanted to do it correctly so i got into a lot of therapy but uh there was a lot of guilt there still is a lot of guilt i mean you know a lot of guilt. Yeah. I, I got to say, though, that uh, I mean, I just want to put it out there. Uh, my daughter, um, I'm a very uh, spiritually inclined human being, and I've spent a lot of time meditating, a lot of time praying, a lot of time, uh, you know, traveling and studying with different teachers. And, and I, I have to say that uh, in the last 20 years, well, for the rest of my life, my greatest teacher ever is my daughter. She was then. And she is now, and she will be till I die. Yeah. I learn something every single day from her. Yeah, you know, patience. Uh, so much more patience than I, I made. She. I, <laughs> this is strange, but she made me a better parent, a better teacher, a better father, a better brother. She made me a better human being. Mm. She makes me a better human being. Yeah. Do you have other kids or? Yeah, yeah, I do. I have a son from uh, my, from Chell's mom and I have two stepchildren from my current wife. So I have a total of four children, three living and one dead. Now, I, I, the, 
you know, here's a question I have for you. Did now were you married to the mother of her when she passed away? No, great question. Um, it was uh, we were married for uh, a total of uh, 13 years. We were separated, completely separated, and on our way to divorce when Chelsea died. We had been separated for, uh, uh, God, I think we were separated since the time Chelsea was 10, so for eight years. Mm. And I was married to my current wife when Chelsea died. Yeah. That's the message for, you know, the people that I use to, uh, that abuse drugs and substances is, is to think about the parents. You know, obviously that's a huge, um, huge thing because yeah. I've seen, you know, marriages dissolve because of their child passing away oh yeah i mean the the statistics you know i'm sure you studied it are are terrible when a, when a couple loses a child the divorce rate just skyrockets yeah. everybody blames each other right and a lot of recriminations going on and a lot of just such sadness and grief and yeah. and blame you know that was not our particular situation but yeah I've seen it, you know, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I now have a very unique skill set, you know, uh, uh, a conscious uh, human being who has been through the ringer of uh, losing a child. So I've been called on a lot to uh, talk yeah. to people who lose their children. Yeah. You know, go talk to Chip. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and doing those things is actually a great healing process. Right. Absolutely. I, one of my, dear friends and she is uh and i bring her up on my show all the time uh jody barber jody barber um lost her son in 2010 he was 19 years old uh he died on their couch at home um and she became a huge advocate uh she created two documentaries one called overtaken and then overtaken two uh her big fight was the overprescribing of medications by doctors uh, because that was something that sort of led in his direction. But that is the stuff that I love. I mean, I really do. Um, and I think about, I tell Jody this all the time that, you know, her son has saved thousands of lives. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, we question all the time, like, why did this happen? Why did, you know, and then, you know, some people, Oh God, why did you take my child? You know? Yeah. Um, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you. and, and we, we don't know the answer. Um, we, I don't think we ever will, <laughs> but you know, we can always flip it around a little bit and look at it in a different light that there is a purpose here. And, you know, just the fact that, you know, you're, you put your hand out, people reach out to you and, and, yep. and, and so there, there is a positive that we could absolutely resulted from this. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, um, you know, as I, I educate, I do a lot of education on, on substance abuse and, and, uh, the, there was a period of time, you know, with ecstasy where it was being cut with something different. Right. Um, and I, I don't know if you kind of know about, um, but of course, and then when you're combining, you know, MDMA and also heroin, um, and this is such a great educational thing. Um, is that, you know, we have enzymes, one of them is called, um, uh, cytochrome P450, which is actually one of the things that metabolizes drugs in us, including MDMA, 
but it's also the same one that does with heroin. And when you combine them, your body can't properly metabolize them. And this means that the MDMA concentration can actually increase to cause that toxicity, uh, raising the chance for overdose, you know, obviously the harmful side effects. And did she, she went into a coma? Was that right? She, um, she got into a fight with her boyfriend and she got a, a quote friend to take her to Newark, Newark. And she uh, bought, she had already taken the MDMA, the ecstasy. And then she decided that she was, she needed heroin. Mm. She wasn't like a continuous user, but she had dabbled frequently. And so, yeah, so she went up and, uh, you know, snorted some heroin in a gas station parking lot in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And, uh, and basically, uh, seized up and and uh died or at least stopped breathing the guy had the uh wherewithal to call the police they brought her to uh trinitas hospital in saint in uh in elizabeth and then she seized and uh they gave her uh, a lot of ativan and she never woke up mm -hmm. it was a week yeah do you think there was a the it was like a heroin overdose or do you think it was toxicity of the mdma the common you know i think it was a co combination but while they were going through it they kept talking about amphetamines and how it was like it wasn't the heroin i mean the policeman that helped us was very helpful and and in the beginning he was like oh she's coming back from this i've seen it a thousand times yeah you know with the whole uh you know oxy thing and the heroin thing you know, the Narcan and it's like, you know, they look like they're dead and then they come back. But this, the combination of the two, just, it was just not happening. Yeah. You know, it was really hard to tell, you know, what, you know, what was the culminating thing, but you yeah. never woke up. Yeah. The, I mean, MDMA is, is, you know, obviously has methamphetamines, you know, right. that, are, that are within it. But yeah, that was the thing that started happening. And I want to say it was probably around that time, 2000, early 2000s that there was actually a substance that was called, I think it was like paramethoxamphetamine or PMA, I think is what it was um, that started to be found that was in the MDMA. And again, it, it kind of just goes back to when we take substances, we really don't know what we're taking. We have no idea. And, we have no idea. And that's what's oh, scary. And that's what's happening. You know, like fentanyl, but yeah, with that PMA, um, it basically contaminated you know, what people thought were MDMA. Um, and, and the reasoning being, and actually this is really what we're seeing happening is because, you know, every time the federal government, um, you know, puts more control on a substance, it becomes harder to get. And so once they do that, then there has to be an alternative that people have to make. And sometimes sadly it is becomes more harmful. Right. Um, and so that PMA was actually easier to get than the precursor to MDMA, which is, you know, sort of a foreshadowing of the whole fentanyl thing. Now, I mean, yeah. you don't you have a clue what has fentanyl in it. And somebody's telling you a white powder is something. How would you possibly know? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're finding it in, in meth. They're finding it in weed. Right. You no, know? I don't. I mean, it's crazy. And uh, I, I'm absolutely convinced I, I did a, I did a show. I just kind of did it myself on it, but it was, I was talking about fentanyl and one of the analogs of fentanyl is car fentanyl and car fentanyl is actually 10,000 times more powerful than morphine. So it's actually used for, um, you know, large animals like elephants and, you know, thing, things in that realm. And I'm absolutely convinced that 
I mean, if anybody puts carfentanil in drugs, they want you dead. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts because you're going to die. I don't care how much of a uh, tolerance that you have to opiates. Right. Carfentanil, the lethal dose, you can't even really see with the naked eye. And uh, I almost, I'm, honestly, I almost look at like terrorist attacks, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, they've talked about, you know, like I read stories all the time about policemen that are accidentally overcome by just being near the fentanyl. Yeah. It's so powerful. And that, and then what you're talking about is another, other, another whole level. Yeah. It's just staggering, yeah. staggering. It, yeah. It's horrible. So, okay, so she passed away May, right, of 2002, May 3rd? May 3rd, 2002. And so I wanted to ask you, and I, and I was kind of saying this before we got started here, but, you know, one of the important things that, you know, I always think about um, is, you know, you've got experience in this, and, you know, you kind of said people contact you. And, and how did you deal with this? What was the, what was your path? I mean, I know you went to therapy, um, but you know, therapy is very short lived hour long meeting. <laughs> right. And then obviously you leave. And then that's when the real therapy begins is actually when you leave. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> no. I, I, how did I deal? Uh, you know what? Um, it was basically, you know, one breath at a time. I, while Chelsea was in the hospital, it was, she was, it took a week for her to die. So mm. I made an appointment with her therapist before she died saying, look, Lisa, I have to like somehow live through this. I have children. I have a job. I, I have to do this. I don't want to do this in an unhealthy way. I know I can blah, blah, blah. And, and so I signed up with her, with my daughter's therapist in, in the idea that, well, she already knows the backstory. She knows my daughter really well. Mm-hmm. Will she help me through this? So she, I, I had therapy with her for a year and that was very helpful. It was once a week, but yeah, I mean, there's no getting around it. I, 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 uh, I have to say that, you know, like I, my, um, my family was incredibly helpful. My wife was just a saint. Mm. Um, my job, I was a, a school teacher in a really nice school district, Long Branch, uh, New Jersey. And my, and my principal and the staff were incredibly helpful. And I just, you know, sucked it up and did it one day at a time. I mean, there were definitely days where I went to work and, and walked in the door and walked out, yeah. got there five minutes later and, walked into my classroom and burst into tears and just like walked out the door. Yeah. You know, I got, I, uh, you know, I, I took some time off at the end of the year and I went on like a grief tour. I went and drove around and saw every one of my family members, you know, on a, in a state at their house for two or three days. My son, uh, my son and my stepson spent a uh, half a, a, one semester in New Zealand. And I took two weeks off and just went to go see them in New Zealand. So I tried to take care of myself and I try to continue, uh, you know, doing my job. Yeah. Luckily, I had, you know, my job was being with children. So that was helpful because I love children, you know, and I, and I felt that it was almost as if I could take the grief and, you know, kind of put it in a box right in front of the school and go in and be with my kids and then come back out and open the box and get the stuff and go home, you know. Yeah. Now I'm going to read the eulogy by Debbie. And this is her mother. To my dearest little girl, Chelsea Marie, you entered my world blazing your trail, 
and most of the time I was running to catch up to you. Everyone who met you remembers your energy. You brought so much color to this world. There's so many stories that come up for me now. They keep me going. From playing at Turkey Swamp Park to cheerleading, I remember you got angry with me for cheering too loudly on the sidelines. Oh, the times I embarrassed you. Our painting class, sleepovers at museums, brownies, tap dancing. And remember those slipless slippers you invented after seeing me fall on the ice driveway to get the newspaper? Remember the night you cooked a lovely chicken dinner for me? I said that it was the best chicken I ever had, and in all honesty, told me that you decided not to burn it like I did. Honesty, you always spoke yours. Chelsea, you taught me so many lessons in this life. Be honest, tell your truth, love many different people, and don't be afraid. I remember when you were just seven and a boy was visiting his grandmother in our neighborhood. He had birth defects. One was blindness. None of the other kids talked to him. But you, within an hour, you were best friends and you invited him over for dinner. You reached out to everyone. And oh, how you loved and cared for your cat. He had 17 years with you too. I promise to take good care of him for you. I thank God for these 17 years from the yelling, crying, hugging, loving, laughing. All of it has been my path with you, and I have no regrets. I thank you for choosing me to walk your journey as your mother. It has been my honor. We were so close these past two years going shopping, cooking, playing games, going to the beach, or out to dinner. Not a day went by that you did not tell me you loved me, and I that I loved you. I have all the cards you gave me just to say thanks for never giving up. We never gave up on each other, did we? Chelsea, thank you for the privilege of being your mother, for being the one you trusted to handle traveling this life with you, for having the faith in me to be strong enough to allow you to leave. I am a better, fuller person for having known you. You are teaching me now to love unconditionally. Don't hold on to anger. Life is short. You will be teaching me the rest of my life and beyond. I know that you know how deeply I love you, and I know you love me with all of your heart. We are still holding each other as we walk forward. You are my angel in heaven. I am your angel on earth. Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a book called uh, Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. Um, <laughs> kind of based on, uh, you know, my life. I, I was a very intense methamphetamine addict uh, for many years. And um, I actually wrote a chapter in there that was kind of for families you know, because, you know, obviously we do see this thing a lot. Um, and I, and going back to what you were saying, you know, you were kind of blaming yourself a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I talk about in there is, um, you know, the premise of, did you ever go to Al-Anon? No, no, I, I am, uh, I'm not really big on the whole AA thing. I, yeah. I, I, they have great success and I have great respect for them, but yeah. I took a different path. Yeah. And I, I did too. And I'm not, actually, I don't do, I never really was a huge fan. I did do the 12 steps, but I kind of moved on. <laughs> right. And I mean, uh, they, they talk about this idea of detachment, you know, and detachment in the Al-Anon program is sort of a, you know, even while the person's alive, you know, they're abusing drugs and substance because it can be just as challenging, you know, for, 
um, you know, the person that doesn't even know where their kid is, you know, they're oh. even, even being alive and they're out there on the streets and you don't know if they're alive or dead, you know, yes. just waiting on the police to show up and, you know, and that oh, kind definitely. Of and, um, and so they talk about this detachment, you know, like being able to kind of separate yourself and, re- and remind yourself again, that, you know, you have no power over her zero. Right. Um, my wife and I used to do this uh, radio show in LA. It was on, um, it's called LA talk radio. And we got, we went, that was one of the things that we talked about one day uh, because we went through this situation with her son. He, he thank God didn't pass away, but um, you know, he was heavily on heroin and, you know, it was that similar thing, you know, have no idea where he is. And, and then um, she always wanting to help him continually going back and forth, help him, help him, you know, put him in this place and then he leaves and put him in here and then he leaves yeah. and, and you get to a point. And what I, what I always tell people is you got to get to a point where you got to stop, you know, right? because in a sense you're, you almost, it's almost better to distance yourself. So that way you don't say you killed them, you know, because right. No, I, I hear you 100%. I, I do. Uh, you know, like having gone through it though, you get to a certain point of, we never got to a point where we had our in and out of institutions, but there was a point there where, you know, it got to, you know, you lock your door, you not let your child in when it's raining. I don't know. You know, you know, it's tough. It's, it's beyond tough. I mean, I can't, I cannot like turn my back on my daughter when she's sobbing and soaking wet on the front steps. Yeah. But I I hear you, you know, like there, there, you know, there definitely were times where threats were made, but yeah, it's the Jody kind of says, I mean, Jody says that too, you know, in the sense that, um, and, and I've talked, I had another, uh, lady on the show, her, her son actually committed suicide. Um, he was, you know, real hardcore alcoholic and then he ended up going that route. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's, just, that's the difficulty. How do you, you know? And I mean, she was right. kind of like, you really don't turn your back on them, but you do got to figure out a way to give them enough pain to want to <laughs> do something different. Right. Well, I completely, I know, I mean, my, I, I am, uh, I am ACOA and my father was ACOA and my grandfather was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. My brother is an alcoholic. Uh, alcoholism runs in the family. So, I mean, I've all the gamut from, you know, like I'm doing, I'm smoking too much marijuana to, you know, I'm leaving you because you, you know, you drink too much. I, and all, all in between, I get it. So many different ways, so many different approaches, so many different interventions. I can't even like, I cannot count this. I'm sure you have a list as well of interventions. You were, you were the center of and interventions that you, you helped. And it all gets down to what you said earlier. You know what? We can't do it for them. No, no. And, and honestly, I, (laughs) you know, it's, it's one of those things that, I don't, I don't really know if there's a, there's no perfect solution to any of it. You know, um, I had, I was, uh, I, I was, Dr. Drew had said something to me one time. Right. And he said, he said, uh, you know, he, he literally asked that question. What, you know, so what's the solution to this problem? <laughs> right. And I was thinking like, there really isn't one, 
because you're dealing with different people. You know, everybody's unique. People learn differently. People experience different things. People have different life experiences, you know, and, uh, and that's why I would say, I mean, you know, what you did and everything you did, I would never, I don't think you should blame yourself for anything, you know, um, because I am guarantee you look like a loving father, a caring father, somebody that would have done anything for her. Anything. And I don't think that there's, I, I can't say there's that you did anything wrong, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, the one thing that I did wrong was I did not uh, manage to keep my daughter alive. I mean, my job as a father ultimately but you couldn't is do to that. keep them alive. Right. I mean, that's my job. But you got to remember, you don't, you, you can't make choices for her though. Well, I understand. I, I totally understand. And I get all that. I know that they get out there once they get their license, they're on their own, basically, you know, they're out in the world. You can't follow them around, but, but ultimately like, you know, I, I accept responsibility for the fact that I failed. I, I'm not going to beat myself over guilt about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it is what it is. It happened. There's things I could have done. There's things I should have done. But all that is just like, you know, mental torture. Yeah. I get it. But I failed. (laughs) You know, what am I going to do? We're going to agree to disagree. (laughs) Right. Okay. Right. No, I got it. But, you know, so in my failure, in my, you know, my take is then I got to grow. I mean, okay. So I messed up. So now, so now I have eight grandchildren. I have three loving sons. I have a daughter who died 20 years ago, who teaches me stuff every single day. I mean, there you go. I mean, you know what? I mean, it sounds bizarre and I'm sure you, you must've thought of this, but if right now a genie came up to me and said, do you want your daughter back? But if you get your daughter back, you got to go back to when she was alive. I, I don't think I could do it. I have eight grandchildren. You know, if you were going to say like, you know, change it back and have her be alive, does that mean I don't get my grandchildren? Mm. Does that mean my son doesn't marry his wife? Does that mean, you know, there's so many things life goes on and things change. So, yeah. Uh, you know what? It's interesting you say that. Cause I, you know, like I even think about that with my life, you know, people are like, you know, if I had all the knowledge and all the experience and everything that I did and I, and I could go back in time and do things differently, I wouldn't do a thing differently. I can't. No. I cannot because of what I have now is so incredible and so precious to me. I mean, I got to tell you, though, I mean, like, you know, this already happened to me. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more, you know, clingy to my people. I, yeah. You know, I, I realize how ephemeral the whole experience is, and uh, and I, t- I I I try to go through every single second of my life saying, it may not be here next tomorrow. Live it right now, and tell people if you love them, tell them you love them. Yeah, I you know that one. Uh, I'm sure you heard that 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 old quote. You know, if you had one day to live, who would you call? What would you say to them? And what are you waiting for? Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know if there is a tomorrow. Right. We don't know. We don't know. So that's why we enjoy the moment. Well, in a healthy way, hopefully. Yep. That's the, you know, 
you know, I had, uh, you know, even, even the substance abuse or all the people that I work with, I mean, they have so much shame, they have so much guilt, they have all right. this stuff, you know, from, you know, things that they've done. And of course, some of them have had, you know, enormous amounts of, of abuse they're dealing with from childhood and, you know, all kinds of yeah. stuff. And, you know, I, we talk a lot about that, that, you know, the, the past is gone. We can't do anything about it. Um, you know, the, the future is nothing really but expectations. And really all we have is now, you know, right. I mean, we have to plan for the future. Hopefully, yes, hopefully, course. hopefully there is one. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, but we plan for the future, but the only moment you're ever going to enjoy is right now. Yep. And right now. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a thing, you know, like all of your worries, all of your stresses, all of your anxiety have nothing to do with now. Yep. They have to it's do all with- past or future again. Yeah. One of my favorite books of all time, seminal work in my, in my, uh, in my learning was, uh, Ram Dass's book, be here now. It says it yep. all in three words. Yep. Be here now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Reach out, hug your child. Hug your family. Hug your parent. I want to read now the eulogy by Michael. And Michael is her brother. When I hear the name Chelsea, I think of the most trying, hard-headed, stubborn, caring, beautiful person whom I loved with every inch of my heart, body, and soul. She showed me how boundless the spectrum of love was. There were times when I wanted to grab her and shake her as hard as I could And there were other times when I wanted to grab her, squeeze her, and never let her go. She was by far my greatest teacher and will, in all likelihood, continue to be for the rest of my life. Although these are difficult times, I feel we all must take something positive from this. We must believe in our hearts that she was just a caterpillar, and now she is a radiant butterfly. We all are wishing she was still here but we must understand that she is now closer to us than she could have ever been before. We may not be able to touch her, but we can feel she is right here in all our hearts. The one thing I feel is most important to learn from this experience is that our seconds together are much too precious for any emotion other than love. There's no time or reason for us to hold our anger in our hearts. We must embrace each other and express our love every day because we know not what tomorrow brings. Please take nothing for granted, but Chelsea teach us all that in our darkest hour, we must find light. I love you, Chell. Thank you for the 17 incredible years. And Jody, Jody said that I kind of put a quote on her within, in, in my book too. And I kind of asked her that question, like, how do you deal? How did you deal with this? You know, the loss of a child, you know, the, the, you know, probably one of the most painful things you ever have to deal with, you know, and, and her statement was just really in line with, I've got another kid. I yeah. had to move on. You've got grandkids, you, you, you know, and so there, there, you have to sort of, you know, sort of redirect that focus a little bit. You have to, I have a son, I have three sons. I mean, it, it you know, my son was, was 21 years old when our, you know, when this happened. So it was our 20 years old. So, and she was, you know, how, she old died when she was huh? how old was she? She was uh, 17 years, 11 months and five days. I think uh, 
she right before her eight right right before her high school graduation. Yeah, that and, is. Uh, and he was a couple years older. So I think he was twenty one or twenty two. So yeah, so it was for them. I had to keep moving on, you know. Yeah. Keep doing it and try to like you know make it not happen for someone else. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Yeah, and that that absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's just like you know I live in I live in LA County and um, Orange County had just humongous amounts of deaths. Um, you know, jo- Jody actually does an overdose awareness thing every year that she holds this big event, and they have all these photos, you know, of all these young people, you know, that that passed away all the way down to the age of 13, uh, you know, 13. Mm. It's just, it's crazy. It is crazy. I remember when I was, when I was young, we started with beer. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm same thing. It was beer and, uh, you know, weed or something, you know, now, it's right. like now people are starting with heroin and, you know, just some of the craziest stuff. Right. Uh, you know, uh, ecstasy right out of the box. Hey, I got a couple hits. Let's go. You know, we're going to a party. Yep. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. And so that's my hope, you know, my hope is, uh, you know, to help save some lives, you know, but it yep. doesn't have to be this way. It's, uh, you know, let me ask you a question. On, and I, I, I asked Jody this one time, I want to ask you a question and I don't, I don't know if you, you may not have an answer on this, but do you remember something that really sticks out in terms of maybe something she said that just, you know, like sometimes we have, you know, people in our life that, you know, like my grandmother, for instance, you know, passed away back in 1999. And, you know, I always have this, like, you know, these memories of like statements that she would make, you know, that I sort of laugh about. Do you have anything that you can think of? Uh, well, she was 17 years old, so there weren't a lot of pithy quotes that, you know, we carry forward in everything, but, uh, I do remember, um, I guess, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but six months before she died, um, she basically just left my, my, she was living with her mother and she left and was out. We couldn't find her. We drove around all night and, Mm. We like tried, you know, like tried to find someone who had been with her and we were all worried, sick about her. And so we're all sitting at the house at four o'clock in the morning. She just walks in and she's indignant because we were so upset. And I looked at her and I said, you know, honey, I love you so much. I just, I'm, I'm afraid that you're going to die. I'm afraid that, you know, you're going to be dead. And she looked at me and she said, you know, that's the most fucked up thing you ever said to me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being like, yeah, I know, but I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. And so six months later, she, you know, yeah. there it was. So, you know, there were a lot of like, there were as many beautiful moments as there were hard moments. Yeah. I mean, she was hard, hard, hard girl from the second she, she came out like a rocket <laughs> and she, yeah through tantrums that were like legendary tantrums when she was two years old, her anger was through the roof mm. and her, her, her son is like a you know, Bodhisattva. He's calm. My, my son calm. He's a therapist. Now he's, mm. you know, uh, magna cum laude, uh, you know, scholar in high school, captain of the football team raised by the same two people. It's just one of those things, you know, she came out angry. 
It goes back to people are different. Right. Know? Totally yeah. different. I mean, yep. she was raised by the same two people yep. Yep. and that was her thing, you know, Yep. but ah, uh, we love her to death. Yeah. We love her to death. And I want to say so that much. I, and I want to say, I see that, you know, I mean, you, you, you present that. And I think obviously she knew that, you know, I hope so. You know, I, I, I want to believe I, I, I make myself, I believe that she knew we loved her with all her heart. And on some level, I know this is just ridiculous, but like on some level, I feel like if there was a being beyond this, she feels bad. <laughs> she didn't mean for this to happen. It wasn't right. It was a, it was a mistake. It was an accident. Yep. And that's the, and that is the shitty part, you know? Right. I mean, it's like, we just, every choice that we make, you know, has consequences, everything. And, and, yep. you know, it can be that one choice yep. just takes it all away. One crazy choice. Yep. I mean, I talked to her that night, you know, and I just tell her, calm down. No, my boy had a fight with Mike and I'm going to go up. like, Oh, it's okay, honey. Don't worry about it. You know? And then, uh, get that phone call four o'clock the next morning. Yeah crazy stuff i'll tell you yeah but i'll tell you this here we are 20 years later yep Still and my son my son married he became a school teacher taken after me and married someone he met in the school district whose name is was is chelsea huh. and so now here we are 20 years later and chelsea heptig is the mother of my three grandchildren wow so you know yeah. there's some kind of weird cosmic symmetry in that it really and i is. love her so much she's the other chelsea yeah. and i just like oh god she's just an amazing mother my grandchildren are amazing my wife is amazing yeah and she's your daughter-in-law and she's my daughter she's my daughter-in-law so it's <laughs> like it's just really yeah. That's, cool. that's really cool yeah so um yeah wow that's uh yeah it's uh, you know i and, and i'm you know it always makes me sad you know obviously with you know with anybody that dies of overdoses and 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 again like i said i mean this is the the worst part of it all is, is the families right I mean, that's the worst part you know um and it, you know, it, it, it is, it's, it's really sad. And, but I am glad that you are moving on in life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. One step in front of the other. Oh yeah. Just a little addendum there. Her brother decided that he needed to do more. So now he is a pediatric neuropsychologist Wow, dealing with troubled youth. And it all stems from like him just being, you know, the sister of a, of a, of a, of a young woman that just had a really, really hard life. So, you know, the reverberations of her life will continue for all of our lives. Yeah. It took that pain that he dealt with yep. to do what he does. Yeah. That's, that's great, man. That's really good. Hey, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate this. I appreciate you as well, buddy. I, I really do. Like, uh, it's one of those things about, uh, you know, being a parent of a, uh, of someone, you know, that lost a child, you know, people sometimes, you know, tiptoe around and, and, uh, I don't ever bring it up and, and I avoid questions like how many children you have. I mean, you know, at some point I had to make a decision. How do you answer that question? So I always say just four, I have yeah. four children. Sure. 
I don't get into the one three alive, one dead, unless somebody really questions me on it. But yeah, because uh, the truth is, you still had four kids. So right, I still have four <laughs> children. You know? Yes, she's always going to be your daughter. Right, she's always going to be my daughter. You know, yeah. so it, it is what it is. But I'm an avid reader, so I mean, I the second she died, I, I have like this bookshelf behind yeah. me has like eight different books on grieving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's what I figured. Well, I got to get good at it because I'm going to be doing it. So I've read a lot of stuff on it. Done a lot of work with the therapy. Yep. You you learned about DABDA, right? Uh, what? DABDA? Denial, uh, DABDA. Anger, de- denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. Oh, Kubler-Roth. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kubler-Roth. Absolutely. She's the first one I bought. Yeah. Absolutely. I didn't know the acronym. But yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was always just DABDA. It's good, you know. <laughs> right. No, I, I got it. And, uh, and we're doing it every day. So. Yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing. And, and I don't think, you know, the the i don't think the grief fully ever goes away no i mean it it it's a you get to the acceptance you know it's just that place yeah. of like you know you you know there's two fallacies with acceptance you know is one that um you know if i you know accept something i have to be okay with it yeah. which is not the truth no. you know and the other side of it and i do this with self esteem if i accept it then i can't change it you know it's kind of the other one but, but acceptance is the precondition to change and, right. and acceptance really is just, and I think in terms of grief is just saying, this is just what it is. This is the reality. You know, I'm not necessarily okay with it, but I can accept it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in, in the 20 years I have in my grief process, I came up with ri- rituals that I do like, you know, like, you know, I celebrate her death every year. I go to the beach every put ashes in the ocean. So I go to the beach every time for the last 20 years, I've stood at the ocean and on the moment that she died, eight 50 in the morning on May 3rd. And, you know, I throw a rose into the water. I mean, I used to give her, uh, you know, roses. Uh, a, I used to send a rose to school on Valentine's day every, since she was in pre-K. And I would just like make sure she got this rose. So now I go and I get a rose from the, uh, and I put a rose in the uh, ocean at uh, on uh, Valentine's Day. Wait, you and uh, we always have dinner on her birthday every year. Yeah. Twenty years we have dinner. We celebrate. You got to keep moving. That's what I was. Gonna, that's what I was. I was really thinking was. Uh, I, I hope you do the birthday thing. That's her life. You know. Absolutely. Celebrate no, the life. The you know. Thing. <laughs> the death thing, you know, has not, has not been an, a, a hard, you know, it's really a, a celebration at this point. Yeah. I mean, like we would go out to dinner, we go out to dinner every night, every May 3rd. And like 10 years ago, we were at the restaurant and there were like 20 people in the room. Mm. And I was there and we were all having dinner and everybody's having drinks. We we're just like, you know, it wasn't sad sitting around crying in our beer. It was, Hey, we're celebrating. And I looked around the room and I realized three quarters of the people in this room never met her. Mm. because my son got married and my other sons got married and they had children. And it was like, and that, and, and in a way that was very comforting to me. It's like, you know what, we're, it's expanding. She, she isn't being forgotten. She's being included in this whole, like she it's part, yeah. this is what we do. You know, yeah. now they know they call me up, but we, you know, what's for dinner yeah. May 2nd, what are we having for dinner? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was saying with this too. It's, you know, the, you know, as long as, as long as we remember her, she's still alive. Right. That's absolutely true. You know, it's, I, I, uh, there was a time 
when she first died, you know, there were a lot of tears. Sure. A lot of tears. And, and then, and I, and I dreaded them. And I was like, I was at being school and I didn't want to cry. And now 20 years later, I basically at least tear up every day in thinking about her. Mm. Uh, and I got to tell you, I cherish my tears. Yeah. I cherish them. They're like diamonds because it just means that I still care and she's still in my heart. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. That's yeah. great. That's great. You know, um, all right. It's a good relief too, right? Yeah, no, it's great. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I tell you what, I'm a, I'm a drama teacher. So, uh, it really oh. helped me get in touch with my feelings, you know? Nice. Yeah. I got a question real quick. What is that thing behind you? Oh, that's a, I'm a puppet. I'm a puppeteer okay. and I teach puppetry in my drama classes. That's my mannequin. That's my, uh, that's great. That's my, uh, orangutan manic, uh, my orangutan, uh, manic, uh, what do you call it? Marionette. Okay. Yeah. I, I was kept looking at that. I'm going like, that's kind of creepy. That's uh... <laughs> it is kind of creepy. My wife hates it. Every time she opens the door to get me for dinner, she, she gives a little up. Yeah, absolutely. And we have one more eulogy. I have been reflecting on life, on the gift of Chelsea's life, a gift of beauty, mystery, and above all, of miracles. A gift of beauty because of her soul, the Ruha, the breath of God, which is the divine and which transcends the here and now. A gift of mystery because she and we are held together in the divine embrace of love, which Thomas Aquinas says is the first gift and whatever else is given us becomes a gift only through love, and her and our love transcends the here and now. A gift of miracles, because her life and ours is a composite of countless other lives and loves, generating more life and deeper love, and that transcends the here and now. Chelsea's gift of life has touched each of us in luminous ways. We know that Chelsea illuminated her great Graham's life, my mother, from their having a tea party using mom's 60-year-old wedding gift tea service because nothing was too good for Chelsea, to dressing up in great Graham's best dress, high heels, jewelry cascading, and topped with one of mom's exotic hats, or her favorite activity, standing on a chair to reach the sink, elbow deep in suds, in an oversized apron, washing dishes. Chelsea was best friends with her great Graham a kind of splendid, flaming light in her life, as Chelsea has illuminated all our lives. And if it's true that we are, as the poet says, made from the stuff of stars, Chelsea now shines in new and amazing ways for us in miracles of grace. So let us expect miracles, the miracles that enable us to believe that life is eternal and love is immortal and death is a horizon and a horizon is nothing save the limit of our sight. Miracles that enable us to pray. There's a story in the book of Genesis, the details of which are unimportant to us today, but it is about two brothers, one wronged by the other. And when they meet years later on the battlefield, the rogue brother throws himself at the feet of the other, terrified. The brother who is wronged reaches down and pulls his brother to his feet, asking, why he is acting this way. The reply is fear. And the wronged brother says, do you not know that for me, 
To look upon your face is to look upon the face of God. Chelsea, for us now, transcends the here and now. She is the face of God for us because we love her. She is the love of God, the goodness, the beauty, the mystery, the miracle, the light of God for us. The mystics have a saying, Percrucium ad lucem. Through the cross, through suffering to the light. The Easter season readings in our Catholic masses this week from the Christian scriptures quote Jesus promising his loved ones as he leaves them. I am with you always, even to the end of time. And in yesterday's readings, you are sad now, but I shall see you again and your hearts will be full of joy and the joy no one will take from you. Percrucium ad lucem, through suffering to the light. Chip, Debbie, Michael, you have shared with us the beauty, the mystery, the miracle of Chelsea. And that gift transcends the here and now. And we are eternally grateful as we pray. Lift us up, strong and gentle God, that we may see beyond the horizon, that we may see in each happening an encounter with the mystery of God, that we may see in each other a revelation of the love of God, that each place and space may be for us a sanctuary of the holiness of God. For in doing this, we are sharing the gift of Chelsea's life. We love you, Chelsea. Hey, I want to thank everybody. And I want to thank you again for, for coming on here. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. My pleasure. Yeah, I want to again thank everybody for uh, tuning in to another episode of High Wall Clean. And as always, I like to say, keep getting high, but let's do it clean. I'll see you soon.